Our first reading is taken from Ezekiel, chapter 47, verses 1 to 12, and can be found on page 880 of the Pew Bibles. The River from the Temple The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple, towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me round the outside of the outer gate, facing east, and the water was flowing from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through the water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through the water, which was knee-deep. He measured off another thousand, and led me through the water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross, because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one can cross. He asked me, Son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great man, a great number of trees on either side of the river. He said to me, the water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the sea. When it empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live there wherever the river flows. There will be a large number of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from En Gedi to En Eglam. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear because the water uh, from the sanctuary flows to them. The fruit will serve for, for food and their leaves for healing. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1 page 1093 in the Church Bibles. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, 
a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. Hi, all gozaimasu. Uh, somebody noticed the other day how I often bow. Even when I'm speaking on the phone, I like this. Um, well, we've been uh, 27 years in uh, Japan, uh, church planting, and um, 16 years in Sendai. And as I said earlier, uh, we had only just got back, just two weeks after we got back, um, we were uh, in our house, um, and the tsunami came, and we, um, we rushed down to the car park, and there was our car floating out to sea, and the whole of the area that we could see was covered with black water, and there was a smell of rotten eggs and a terrible noise of crunching buildings, and then it all rushed out, came in again, rushed out, and um, it was a terrible disaster. Thousands of people were killed, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands were left homeless. A huge um, economic disaster as well. Um, and it was a really bad thing. But spiritually, it was really a good thing. Because for 27 years, we had um, been trying to tell the gospel to the Japanese people. And um, it was very often very difficult. Because when you have um, no particular needs, um, you don't really need God, do you? Um, but when disaster strikes, it can be a big disaster like a catastrophe, or it can just be a small personal disaster like a terrible diagnosis from your doctor or a car accident, and uh, suddenly you realize how small you are and how big uh, God is and how much you need him. Um, we found that people were far more open to the gospel, and we were able to, uh, along with giving relief, we were able to share the good news of Jesus Christ to many, many people. The other thing was it was great for the church because suddenly the church people realized that they could um, help and uh, join in, uh, joined in our work of relief and evangelism. <coughs> One young man became full-time, uh, some of you know him, he's called Tadamitsu, and um, he's uh, uh, getting married at the end of this month, and I'm, we're going back, and first thing I'm going to have to do is prepare his... Uh, wedding, and he came up to me, he's invited all his neighbors, and about 100, 150 of them, or 200, and he said, I want it to be evangelistic. So uh, it's great when a Japanese person 
cautions you that you must be evangelistic. It's usually the other way around. Um, so I'm very grateful for that. If you come to Sendai, there are two uh, cities, really, two parts. Uh, there's the, the main city, which, of course, is uh, carrying on as, as if nothing had happened. And then you go to the coast, and it's just devastation. There's nothing there at all. They've cleared all the rubble. Uh, just a few foundations left. And the people who have survived have been moved inland to camps, uh, prefab housing. And we spend a lot of our time um, doing ministry to those people. We, go, we do mobile cafes. We have little mini concerts. We go in there with a, a gospel singer. We have some entertainment. And then we have all the cakes that Glenda's been preparing. And then we'll have a, a short Bible message, but with impact, telling people about Jesus Christ, the Savior they need to repent and believe in him. And then we all sing uh, uh, Christian hymns. You know, there are a lot of hymns even in Japan, and everybody knows the tunes of. You've got Amazing Grace, you've got Jesus Loves Me, you've got um, you know, Old Lang Syne, you know, all these things. And they have, they have Christian words, you see? So you have these words in front of you, and you start singing, oh, I know this, and they, they sing along to it. And um, you know, it doesn't mean they're becoming Christians because they're singing those hymns, but it's getting the word of God through to people. And we're just so grateful that we have so many good relationships uh, with these people and we can tell them the word of God quite clearly. We're hoping that two new churches will come of this. Uh, please join us in prayer. And by the way, we really do value your prayers. Um, nobody praises you and thanks you when you pray to God quietly in your room for us. But um, um, God does. And uh, one day um, you'll be rewarded. But we do value prayer. One is in a place called Yamamoto, which is halfway towards Fukushima, and uh, quite a long way south of Sendai. And we've joined up with another church group, and we're having um, um, little church services there. We get about 35 people, and we're hoping that that will uh, turn into a church. And also in another place is uh, just south of Sendai Harbor. The uh, wave came in and completely devastated the whole uh, the, that area partly been rebuilt, and our evangelist, Tadamitsu, is, is living in one of those houses. We've invited all those neighbors, as I said, um, but we have um, Bible studies and uh, church meetings there regularly, and we're hoping that will turn into a church as well. So please pray with us. Um, please, uh, please pray for us um, that God will really bless that ministry. And thank you for your prayers and support. Okay, we're going to look at God's word now in those two passages that we uh, uh, were read to us. So let's just pray and ask God's blessing. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement it is. And thank you for the deep truths that we um, learn in it. Truths that we would never have figured out, never have thought of, and that it took you to reveal to us. So help us to listen with all seriousness, realizing that you are speaking to us through your word. In Jesus' name. Pentecost, which is what today is, um, 2,000 years ago, was God's D-Day. Um, the world had, uh, was in rebellion against God, and God um, sent uh, his invasion. And it wasn't 150,000 men with tanks and battleships. It was just 11 men. They were all failures. And one other, the Holy Spirit. And uh, that is God's reinvasion of this world. Uh, for three years, Jesus had been teaching his disciples, and he hadn't got very far with them, frankly. 
it took a very long time to realize who he was, that he was um, the Messiah, the Christ. It took even longer to realize that it was God's will for him to die on the cross. And only after the resurrection did they slowly come to believe that it was God's, that God had raised him from the dead. So they were very slow and very dull. And because they were slow to understand, because they were spiritually deaf and spiritually blind to, uh, for the most part, they were also spiritually dumb. They could not speak about God. Of course, their vocal cords and their uh, tongues were fine. Um, Peter was uh, great at shooting his mouth off, and they were all good at arguing about who was the greatest. But as far as talking about God, as far as uh, joyfully telling the gospel, they were completely powerless. And then God sent the Holy Spirit, and everything changed. <clears throat> Suddenly, they were able to speak. Well, if we look at uh, verse 1 in um, Acts chapter, 12, uh, chapter 2, uh, the day of Pentecost came. They were all together in one place. They were in an upper room. Why were they in the upper room? Because they were afraid. They were afraid of the Jews. And... Um, the day of Pentecost was actually harvest time. It was when the harvest was gathered in. And so it's a, it's a very suitable time, isn't it, for God to bring in the first harvest from his church, for his church. And there were three signs that uh, accompanied the coming of the Holy Spirit. First, there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind. Don't you think that is so suitable as a, as a sign of the Holy Spirit? mighty rushing wind. Now in Portsmouth you get little winds, don't you? You know, it blows the winds, uh, the tiles off, uh, off the roofs and uproots trees and blows in windows. You never see the wind, you just see the effects. You see its power. Another thing about the wind is you can't control it. You know, you can't sort of stop it. And, uh, we can't do that. Just like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is sovereign. He does what he likes. He's inscrutable, and he's powerful. You, how many of you have New Year's resolutions? Forget it. It never works. You're back at the chocolate within a, within a week. Yeah? It doesn't work. When people try to turn over a new leaf, when you try to reform yourself or to reform somebody else or, or change your children, you cannot do it. You cannot do it. Only the Holy Spirit will open somebody's eyes to the truth that there is a God and that he sent his Son to die on the cross for our sins that we have eternal life through him. When somebody's eyes are open to that truth, then they will be changed, and you cannot stop the change that is taking place in them, because the Holy Spirit is powerful. The Holy Spirit is also, secondly, the other sign, was like a fire. Upon each of the disciples, there was uh, tongues of, as of fire distributed on each one. What does that signify? Fire is a powerful element, isn't it? You strike a match and you've got a little flame. You can easily blow it out. But if you're not careful, yeah, it can become bigger and bigger and it can burn down your house or it can start a forest fire. Fire is tremendously powerful and it's, it's pure. It burns up rubbish. You know, I was looking at some of these things when I was, when I was concentrating. I was looking. Look at this wholehearted, enthusiastic. Are you wholehearted? Are you enthusiastic? Yeah, about sport or something else or your job. But are you enthusiastic and wholehearted about church? No ways. So where 
where does this come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. He's the one who sets us on fire, who makes us zealous. I'll give them away now, but there was a, the fruit of the Holy Spirit on these, um, on these nice embroidery things. Peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Where do these things come from? Do you really think that you are a kind person? Do you really think, looking over here now, you're generous? Of course you're not. Where do these things come from? They come from the Holy Spirit. If you think you're a good person, you have no Christian experience. You just walk a little bit with God, and he'll show you quite the opposite. This thing, these things come from the Holy Spirit. And uh, that is the whole point of that rather strange Old Testament reading that we had. Um, it was a bit weird, but also intriguing, wasn't it? Fascinating have this um, beautiful scene of, of trees bearing all kinds of fruit, of fish, of, of a river flowing into a salt sea and making it fresh. Where does all this blessing come from? Where does all this peace and plenty come from? It comes from the river. Where does the river come from? It comes from the temple. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus called himself the real temple? He also spoke of a river the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, Jesus is the source of the Holy Spirit. And a third great sign of the Holy Spirit's coming, the most famous one, I suppose, the one that attracts most attention, is that they were speaking in other tongues. Now, if you count up the numbers, you've got about 15 different countries here, or different places, each with their own language. And these Jews who gathered together, they, um, they spoke... Hebrew, of course, and they spoke at least one other language, uh, which is where they came from. And when they heard these disciples speaking miraculously in other languages, they understood it. They knew that this wasn't just made up a word or some imaginary speech. It was a real language, and they understood it. And, uh, and so this is a great sign, too. What does it signify? It signifies that the Word of God is now not confined to the Jews not confined to one small people group, but is to be spread all over the world. Just like that river got, you know, it started off ankle deep and trickled then ankle deep and then wider and wider and deeper and deeper. Then uh, so the word of God spreads all around the world. It even came to the pagan barbarians of South Sea. Hallelujah. See, that is the word of God spreading right throughout the world. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, that's what this... Um, third sign signifies. Some of you remember uh, in Genesis chapter 10, when God came down and confused the languages. And he broke all the, the people up into different um, language groups. Now this is the great reversal of God bringing people um, uh, back together under one Holy Spirit, under one Savior. And so that is the um, uh, wonderful truth of Pentecost. But there is one bigger sign and something which we mustn't miss in this passage. The disciples were no longer dumb. They were no longer mute. They were able to praise God. In verse 11 it says, We hear them declaring the wonders of God. And when these disciples were declaring the wonders of God, they were telling the gospel. They were telling about Jesus and his birth and his life and the miracles he did and the 
truth of his uh, crucifixion and what it meant and the fact of his resurrection and what that meant and the truth that he's coming again. This was what they were telling, the wonders of God. Now what about you? You are a Christian, presumably. You come into church, you believe the gospel. Do you? Actually, that's something to ask uh, seriously. Have you repented from your sins? Most of you, I imagine, do believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You love him, and you uh, read his word, you understand it. But are you able to tell other people about him? Are you enthusiastic about everything else except him? You know, we are uh, perfectly able to um, talk about football and uh, enthusiastically complain about our neighbors and uh, very willing and eloquent, in fact, to talk about things we're interested in. Suddenly, when it comes to the gospel, we're tongue-tied. Now, why is that? It's because we need more and more the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to daily see the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in him. You know, um, how do we receive the Holy Spirit? Is it some magic um, formula, or is it some special person, or is there some special uh, ceremony in church? Not at all. The proportion that we receive the Holy Spirit is related to how much we believe in Jesus Christ. Because he is the temple out of which this river flows. And he is the Savior who gives the Holy Spirit. So uh, let us concentrate on him. Let's really make sure that we understand the meaning of his death for me personally. Let's really understand, uh, uh, make sure we understand what justification is. That I am right with God through Jesus Christ. Let us make sure we understand what the new birth is, that I have a, a new heart deep within me that uh, changes the uh, salt water and makes it fresh and does these uh, spiritual miracles within me. Let us make sure that we really understand that this world is just a temporary little thing, a very important little thing, by the way, but temporary, and it's, uh, it's, um, it's going to pass away new heavens and a new earth one day. But when we really understand that, then our tongues will be loosened and we'll be able to um, tell the wonders of God uh, to the people around us. And let's make sure that we make that a priority. If we can't do it, then something is wrong and we cannot go on like that. Have we told the gospel to our neighbors? They need it. You're probably the only Christian neighbors they have. What about the friends you meet at school or the friends you meet at, or the people you work with? Make sure you tell them the gospel. Do it and uh, do it tomorrow. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your uh, word and we thank you for the encouragement it is that you have not left us alone to carry on the Christian life on our own strength, that you have given the Holy Spirit uh, to be your um, stand-in, as it were, our uh, friend who is always with us, uh, who is not just beside us, but in us, who not just teaches us, but transforms us. So we pray, Lord, that you will um, continue to work in each one here. We do, I do thank you for this congregation and uh, each one who is here, and I pray that you will give them the grace they individually need. In Jesus' name, amen.